0: This is a podcast from BFM eighty nine point nine, the Business Station. BFM eighty nine point nine. Good afternoon, and welcome to Enterprise BizBytes. I'm Roshan Kanisson. This week we saw co-working firm backed by SoftBank once valued at forty seven billion dollars file for bankruptcy. The company is of course called WeWork. Uh, Not working anymore it seems. In a press release the company stated that the bankruptcy filing is limited to WeWork's locations in the US and Canada and WeWork reported total debts of $18.7 billion against total assets of just about $15 billion in an initial filing. Earlier this week in that same filing WeWork listed about $19 billion in debts and $15 billion in assets as of June 30th. Now if we take a Malaysian look at bankruptcy, I think this 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 filing has brought the issue of bankruptcy to the fore and if we take a look at the Malaysian situation, uh, some interesting stats we have here. Uh, earlier this year, the Insolvency Department revealed that 16 people were declared bankrupt each day last year and despite the sizable number of bankruptcies with 5,700 cases in 2022, the total was lower than the recorded 6,554 cases recorded in 2021 although there were some changes in terms of of the classification of bankruptcy. Uh, so today on Enterprise BizBytes, uh, we take a, a Malaysian lens and explore bankruptcy and what it means for businesses and business owners. With Christopher Guo, legal associate at Kenny and Tan and Kenny Tan and Co. Uh, Christopher, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining me today. Good morning, Roshan. Now, uh, Christopher, uh, no, before we get to you, Christopher, if you have any thoughts and you want to WhatsApp us and let us know those thoughts, our U-mobile number is 018-789-8899 or you can always tweet us at BFM Radio. All right, Christopher, now uh, over to you. Um, I think let's start with a little bit of basics here because the understanding of bankruptcy might not be as clear as we think. You know, we hear the term a lot. We think we know what it means. So maybe clarify for us, what does it mean for a business or a person to go bankrupt?
1: So I think the first thing to know about a business is that it can comprise things like sole proprietorships, partnerships, and of course companies. But of course, uh, bankruptcy cannot apply to a company. It can only apply to a sole proprietor or a pa- or a partnership or to individuals. because the insolvency act of our country actually expressly prohibits a bankruptcy order being made against a company. I think what more what most people are looking at is actually uh, insolvency of a company. So, that means a company is unable to pay their own debts and as a result, they would be wound up and therefore and thereafter dissolved.
0: And uh, when it comes to... So, if in, in the situation that an SME becomes insolvent, it's not filing for bankruptcy, is it? So, when an SME becomes insolvent,
1: once again, it also includes uh, the likes of sole proprietors, uh, partnerships and, of course, companies. So, uh what you're looking at for sole proprietors and partnerships is that uh, the individual will have to pay out of his own pocket. Mm. And if he cannot pay up, he will be declared bankrupt, right? Whereas for a company, once again, if the company runs out of assets, the shareholders don't have to pay a single cent, of course, up to whatever that they have invested in the company. So uh, as a result, the company would be wound up or it can also apply for the corporate rescue mechanisms we have in our Malaysian Companies
0: Act. So the key the key thing at first to remember here is that one only people can be declared bankrupt. Companies are uh, will be uh, will be declared insolvent and then wound up if needed or whatever uh, process ha- that happens after that. And when it comes to the business structures, things like sole proprietorships and partnerships, uh, just to clarify again, these can be declared bankrupt because the individuals. And the business are basically the same?
1: Uh, I mean, I understand it's a bit of confusion, but actually for sole proprietorships and partnerships, they do not enjoy something called a separate legal personality. Mm. So the idea is that you, you as the individual, the owner of the business is kind of like one in the same as the business. It is that you are trading under the name of the business, but of course, any liabilities, you pay for it. But for a company, it enjoys separate legal personality. It's treated as a separate person. And as a separate person, they are liable to their own debts,
0: not the shareholders. Mm. And this is where the incorporation of the company comes through, right? you so your Sindhra and Brahearts and all. Ah, uh, yes. And... Um so let's talk about the processes then, right? And I, I understand there are going to be different processes here for different corporate uh, different business structures here. So give us a sense of what the, the typical process would be if a business or business owner has to take the route of bankruptcy and insolvency. So honestly, I think the,
1: the, first, the first thing would be that if a business owner feels that they are unable to pay off the debts, that means that he would have to file for bankruptcy in order to get some, uh, some of the law's protections. So what this means is that usually first thing, they will probably need to hire a lawyer, <laughs> <laughs> which which I am one. So what what the lawyer will do is that they will file something called a debtor's per- petition with a state court where the debtor or his business operates. So there's no minimum amount of which you need to be in debt before you can file that petition, unlike a creditor's petition, uh, which w- would be filed by a creditor of a minimum limit of about 100,000 ringgit. So uh, before you file the petition, you need to pay a 1,500 ringgit deposit with the insolvency department. After that, your petition will be heard. And uh, if in most cases, uh, you, you as a debtor are present in the hearing before the court, the order will be given for your bankruptcy. Right. And the purpose of this is to protect against... Uh... It's, it's kind of like, um, how, how would I say, it? is that, you, you as a bankrupt, uh, you will have to, you, you, it's like your assets will be given to the insolvency department to manage. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's kind of like a release for yourself because, well, you sue me also no use, right. put it bluntly. So <laughs> the, the liquidator will thereafter take over and he will manage your assets. He will realize them, sell off your house, sell off your car, take the money and pay off the
0: creditors. And essentially pay what is due to the creditors. Yes. Is there are there any particular protections? Uh, what are the protections, if at all, for those who have to declare bankruptcy? So I mean, a, a few. I mean,
1: there are not really many protections, rather mm. because at the end of the day, uh, when a person is bankrupt, well, there's nothing else to do. Mm. That's the thing. So it's it's kind of like the last stage of your insolvency. Is that? There's, there's, there's really nothing that a person can really do except once he's declared bankrupt, just wait for the first creditors meeting to be uh, first convened by the insolvency li- department or a liquidator and um, just get what you do.
0: And at that point, it's a negotiation between the business and the creditors in terms of the person and the creditors in terms of what they settle if there's any haircuts or anything like that.
1: Yeah, just most most importantly is to determine how much of a haircut are people willing to take. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, in terms of process procedures and regulations, that sort of thing, how much does it differ between um, the, for example, um, the sole prop and the partnership that has to go through these bankruptcy proceedings versus what corporations go through with insolvency?
1: So, I mean, uh, corporations will corporations who are insolvent have many more options uh, of course for for debtors other than just bankruptcy uh, individuals can also apply for a voluntary arrangement uh, basically it's something similar to uh, asking people you know uh, i'm i'm going to propose as uh, like a, like a like a plan for you uh, in which i will pay you installments i'll pay you in a, a lesser sum uh, whereas for a corporation there are many more mechanisms right which is, of course, the corporate rescue mechanisms, and of course, a regular winding up, which of course entails uh, a company's assets being liquidated and the company thereafter being dissolved.
0: Uh, what are the, I guess, what is the end product of all this? Right, when you look at a company, so um, WeWork is obviously a Cinderman brahad equivalent uh, over here. Oh no, sorry, it's a public listed company. It's oh, public listed. It's public yeah. already. Yeah. I'm um, always thinking back to the SoftBank hey days, or when it was still a very large <laughs> private company. Um, the, the process there because obviously you made it very you brought it down to earth and just kept it very simple there yeah. um, what are the implications to it? is is insolvency the end of a company or are there ways for it to come back
1: So there are multiple ways for it to come back. Uh, The example they brought up for WeWork, right, so they filed for something called a Chapter 11 bankruptcy. Uh, Don't confuse the bankruptcy uh, with the Malaysian version of bankruptcy, which only applies to individuals. So Chapter 11 is more concerned about uh, reviving the company and bringing it back to a sort of a a going concern, i.e. it's able to continue its business for the foreseeable future. So we have mechanisms like that in Malaysia as well, namely uh, judicial management, uh, corporate voluntary arrangement, of course, scheme of arrangement. So uh, I mean that the main forms would, of course, be judicial management and uh, scheme of arrangement. CVA, I'll talk about that later. Mm-hmm. So uh, judicial management would entail applying to the court to appoint someone called a judicial manager. So it's someone that you, that you nominate uh, in order to uh, take over and sort of uh, manage the company in a way that helps it maintain itself as a going concern. And, uh, and or to uh, realize the company's assets for the benefit of the creditors. So it's usually a, a, a person who's qualified in liquidation practice So I know a few firms who actually do that. So, uh, but of course, judicial management itself is uh, quite challenging because you need to involve the courts, you need to hire lawyers, and of course, the fees can go up to about six
0: figures. So this would typically happen for a much larger company, I presume, something that maybe uh, that can afford all the different fees associated with this? Well, typically, typically. Chris, we got uh, Christopher, we've got to go into a few messages. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about that CVA you were mentioning earlier, the Corporate Voluntary Arrangement, as well as a uh, very other common term we hear in the public markets, PN17, and what that really means and entails. Folks, I've been speaking with Christopher Guo. He is a legal associate at Kenny Tan & Co. And we've been talking about, especially on the back of WeWork's bankruptcy filing, talking about what bankruptcy means here in Malaysia for businesses and business owners. And what we've learned, first point, is that businesses can't go Bankrupt, they can only go insolvent. Uh, More on this in a few minutes. I'm Roshan Kunnison, and this has been Enterprise BizBytes here on BFM 89.9, the business station. Bulldozing fine measures. BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM eighty nine point nine. That's Van Halen with "Can't Stop Loving You." I'm Roshan Kinnison, and this is Enterprise BizBytes. On the back of the bankruptcy uh, bankruptcy filing of SoftBank-backed co-working firm WeWork, a company once valued at forty-seven billion US dollars, today on Enterprise BizBytes we take a Malaysian lens and explore the bankruptcy and insolvency scene here in Malaysia and what it means for businesses and businesses business owners. Helping me with this has been Christopher. Legal associate at Kenny Tan and Co. Uh, Christopher, earlier we were talking a bit about some of the protections involved with a corporation uh, when they are going through insolvency and you ta- we talked a little bit about judicial management and what that entails. Is there anything else when it comes to laws or legal support uh, to support uh, to companies who are under financial distress that you'd like to touch on?
1: I'd like to touch on one limitation of judicial management namely that a public-listed company is not allowed to apply for it. So given that limitation, we go to a, a, one of the mechanisms which a public-listed company can undertake, of course. It's called the scheme of arrangement. So it, it is a, basically an a, a agreement made between a financially distressed company and its creditors on a debt restructuring exercise to aid the company in paying its debts. Right. So the idea first is this. In order to apply for it, you need to once again apply with the court. So the courts have to get involved. Lawyers have to be involved. Cost, delay in time, and of course, uh, the idea is that once you apply for the the to the court, the, you are applying for a permission to commence a meeting, a hmm. meeting with the creditors, so that you're able to put forward that proposed uh, that proposed restructuring scheme, a scheme of arrangement, so to speak, to the creditors. So in Well, the thing is that uh, to get your leave in the first place, you need to uh, tell the court that, well, I've done the homework, I have uh, classified the creditors between secured and unsecured creditors, and uh, because the idea is that if you don't classify them properly if let's say all creditors come in one meeting, secured, unsecured, all of you guys are (laughs) jostling for the money essentially. And the thing is that you have to propose reasonable terms for all of them. Everyone needs to get some money at the end of the day if you want them to agree. So if you have like 75% of debts with secured creditors, but only 25%. But the 75% uh, secured creditors, they, they agree to your proposal. They basically, uh, I mean, because 75% of the creditors must agree to the proposal before it gets passed. Okay,
0: so it so doesn't have to be a 100%
1: agreement to it. It's not a 100% agreement. So the idea is that once 75% agree, the
0: rest of the 25% have to sort of, you know, take it, yeah. so to speak. And this is where, so this is why it's important to classify the different creditors. Because ultimately from the, what it sounds like, it's it's a negotiation between the different parties who are owed money and what they're willing to accept uh, ultimately in terms of uh, this insolvency, uh, in terms of how much they are owed as well. Um, it just seems like a big negotiation with a lot of people. It just sounds like a, uh, ultimately, ultimately, it just sounds like, uh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Yep. So it's a scheme of arrangement between multiple partners to, to kind of figure out how to proceed forward here. Um, what about the shareholders and employees here? Is, what happens to them when in in the case of a bankruptcy, uh, sorry, insolvency of a company? So when
1: a company becomes insolvent, like like I said earlier, they would be subject to a winding up, essentially, if uh, whether it be petitioned by the creditors or uh, themselves, of course. So... A company has a separate legal personality. What this means is that shareholders will not have to pay out of their own pocket to pay off the company's debts. Their liability is only up to the amount that they invested in the company itself. Mm-hmm. So, in that sense, a shareholder will be protected. Like, uh, let's say someone sues a company of 500 million, company owes has 100 mil to pay. And as such, uh, the creditors cannot claim the remaining 400
0: million from the shareholders themselves. They're not personally liable for They're that. They're not personally liable. So there's, uh, I think in business school, it's called the corporate veil in the US, or essentially that that separation between the owners and the what you've referred to as the corporate personality. Yes. Um, so that's a good term to know. Um, so if, but the, basically they're limited to the extent which the company has in terms of, So you can't go for the personal assets of the shareholders? You can't go for the personal assets of shareholders
1: unless, of course, they've signed something called a personal guarantee. Ah. That's the thing. A lot of uh, directors, they have a bit of a tendency not to read the documents they sign. As a result, uh, we end up having to swoop in to protect them as much as we can, which is uh, usually going to be quite a difficult exercise. But as for employees, as you've earlier mentioned, so uh, when a company becomes insolvent, usually... uh, Money has to be given to in priority. Secured, then unsecured, of course. But of course, there's a priority towards workers' wages. So, uh... The priority goes like this: First, you pay the money for the costs, costs and expenses of the winding up, remuneration of liquidator, etc. Then you go to the wages and salary or, or allowances and reimbursements of up to fifteen thousand ringgit for employees. So, in that sense, employees do get quite a bit of protection. Of course, up to fifteen thousand, it's not, it's not really going to be much. Uh, workers' compensation, the third one, and uh, fourth one, remuneration payable for vacation leave, uh, fifth. All amounts payable for contributions during the 12 months before the winding up, i.e. your SOXO, EPF, uh, PCB, and lastly, your taxes imposed on the company. So in that sense, workers do get uh, protection when a company does go insolvent.
0: Um, earlier, you mentioned a little bit of personal guarantees and directors yeah. and having to read that. To make sure that they don't get themselves, I guess, personally liable here. Uh, is it? Can you give us a bit more context in terms of what is a personal guarantee, and uh, when it comes into play?
1: Right. So usually, when a when a lender wants to lend money to a company, they know about the separate legal personality. So of course, they understand that if the company is not able to pay, they don't get jack basically. Mm-hmm. So what they do is that they tell the directors, if you want to borrow money from me, you have to sign this document which says that in the event the company is not able to pay, you pay from your own pocket. So that's very dangerous. A lot of directors don't really care. And mm. the thing is that uh, recently I spoke to one of uh, potential clients actually. So he, he said he just signed the personal guarantee, uh, not knowing really what it
0: meant. Wow. And I guess that that happens a lot in... in I guess business right you want to get the business done and then Mm. you don't read the fine print and there are ramifications later on for that is that only for um, private companies or does it also apply to PLCs Uh, the personal guarantee part it applies as long as it's a company Mm. yeah now, while we're talking about companies, earlier we talked or we mentioned briefly that there's this uh, corporate voluntary arrangement option of the CVA that provides a quick and economical debt restructuring option for private companies who are in financial distress or insolvent. Could you talk about what this uh, talk to us a little bit more about this and what the CVA entails? So a CVA is kind of like the scheme of arrangement I said earlier,
1: although it is a much more restrictive and much simpler process. It's targeted mostly to private companies because public companies, public listed companies, uh, licensed financial institutions, payment system operators uh, are not allowed to actually apply uh, or or rather to get the CVA process started. Companies which have created charges over their property. So what this means is that if let's say you as a company have uh, borrowed money from let's say Maybank, Okay, your, your land got charged, right? Uh, basically, it's a process where the bank creates a security over your land. You cannot get uh, the CVA started. Mm. I know it's a very restrictive process, which of course, a lot of people have been debating to get this uh, amendment out, right? Because a company <laughs> which has a charge is usually the one that needs saving. Yeah. So the the process is usually that uh, you, you don't really have to involve the court that much. You just have to... Uh, you just have to file several documents with SSM, Companies Commission of Malaysia. You will need to appoint a nominee as in a qualified insolvency practitioner. You must put forward the terms of your proposed arrangement and your statement of affairs to that nominee Hmm. That nominee will then review the pro- review your proposal and determine, okay, if this is good enough, all right. Then in that case, the document setting out the terms of the CVA can be filed with the court. The court will then automatically give you a moratorium in the sense that no longer will people be able to sue you, at least for 28 days.
0: Okay, so it gives you a bit of relief and reprieve here. Yes. But I can't do that if I'm a corporation. I can't do that if I have a charge on a property of mine. Yes, so that's one of the exemptions to this. Uh,
1: yeah, it's one of the limitations of the limitations.
0: Scope. Yeah. Um, now, could you just briefly explain to us a little bit further? What What do you mean by a charge on property? So, so what happens is that, like, like I said, uh, a
1: charge is basically like this right that the bank gets to put onto your property. It basically tells uh, the land office, or or if it's like a like let's say a car, et cetera, right? So it basically tells the world that, hey, I've got priority over this property in the event that this guy or this this company goes bust, uh, I get it first cut. Mm -hmm. Of course, subject to workers getting their cut first, but that's not really going to be much. So that's uh, basically it.
0: So how does a CVA... So the, the support that a CVA provides during this time is that reprieve, that, that relief, that 28 days for them to figure things out. Is there anything else that a CVA provides them? So CV CVA, firstly, is uh, quite cheap. It's quite, it's quite cheap
1: uh, because you don't have to involve lawyers if you don't... Uh, yeah, you basically DIY it yourself. Okay. So you, you, you have to, of course, appoint a nominee, that insolvency practitioner, I said. Of course, you need to pay him a fee. I'm not sure how much it is. depends from firm to firm but uh, essentially once you get that moratorium from the court the nominee will summon a meeting of the shareholders and a meeting of the creditors to consider and approve your proposal within the 28 days of you filing that document with court so during that moratorium period you guys will hash it up together mm. right so um, at all material times, the, another benefit is that the directors, the directors of the company, will retain powers over the day-to-day management over the company. So that's good. It's not like
0: judicial management where they so they still have, still have control to run things. That's important. Yeah, or less and less um, outside interference. Less outside interference. Um, is there anything else you'd like to add to the CVA before we move on to the other uh, acronyms that we have to get to? Well, not really. So let's jump over to PN17 then, shall we? Sure. Uh, so you can't avoid this when we talk about insolvency here in Malaysia. PN17 is a term that we quite often hear when it comes to the when it comes to public markets. And it stands for the Practice Note 17-2005. Um, this is a practice note that is issued by Bursa Malaysia in relation to listed issuers that are in financial distress. Uh, Christopher, could you break this down for us and the implications of a PN-17?
1: So I think a lot of people get this t- tend to get this wrong about PN-17 is that it only applies to companies listed in the main market of Bursa Malaysia. So the main market is where the big wigs tend to play. Uh, Asia X, uh, Asia Capital A, rather <laughs> Capital A. Uh, so these, so basically, PN17 is a practice note. It is a set of rules. Okay, it is uh, basically it means that when companies in the main market uh, go into financial distress, i.e., uh, being wound up, have having their major subsidiary which makes up more than fifty percent of their you know, uh, I'm not sure if it's cash flow, or revenue, or whatever it was. But basically, a major subsidiary being wound up, whether it's being subject to receive, receiver and manager, judicial management, or uh, having defaulted in a major payment. So what happens is that uh, they will be subject to the PN17 rules, which are that uh, they have to announce on Bursa's website immediately that the company is now under PN17 status. Uh, disclose a company's obligations uh, under PN17, consequences of non-compliance of those obligations, and status of the regularization plan. Oh, one more thing. They need to submit a regularization plan as part of that PN17 uh, rules. So um, one one thing is that uh, where the plan results in a significant change in the business direction of policy, this plan uh, has to be sent to the Securities Commission of Malaysia for approval and then they need to implement the ti- uh, implement a plan within the times
0: prescribed by the Securities Commission. This is for the regularization plan? Yes, for regularization plan. So could you explain a little bit about uh, what a regular regularization plan is?
1: So regularization plan is basically, uh, where the company is basically telling uh, the authorities, okay, uh, we've got a plan. Right, <laughs> right we, 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 We've got a plan on how to save ourselves from this mess, uh, be it uh, cost rationalization. I think the number one thing is that, mm-hmm. of course, uh, to dispose of certain assets to get enough cash in order to to keep the business afloat. Um, another one, of course, uh, I'm not, I mean, which is, of course, issuance of shares, Uh which I've done quite a bit, actually. Uh, Warrants issues, okay. you know, all these, all these things, in order to try to get money inside the company. Cause, um, like, for example, you can also dispose of big pieces of land for like uh, millions and millions and millions of ringgit. Mm. So, in that sense, you're basically telling uh, Bursa, okay, we've got a plan. Please give us time. Uh, please, I mean, we're telling all the investors to uh, have faith in us. Uh, don't
0: give up on us, up on us yet yeah. there's there's a plan to get back to business as usual um a, a, i mean essentially to get back to some semblance of normal uh and that it's not all doom and gloom i presume that's kind of the imp- the tone yes um what are the implications of p n seventeen to a, a company so like like
1: i said uh the implications are that they need to op- they need to comply with many requirements. Uh, for example, like, um, like I said, get the plan going. Regularization plan has to, be, has to be done up. So that means you need to get those uh, qualified experts to come and prepare it for you. You need to get auditors. You need to get uh, those qualified in liquidation practice. You need to get uh, due diligence lawyers. So uh, lots and lots of things will have to come into play. Uh, you would also need to involve your principal advisor, those investment bankers like a TA Securities, uh, uh, Pacific. so lots and lots of uh, people have to get involved. So the thing is that um, you would also need to make regular announcements as well on the status of how things are going. So it's not like you can just keep silent and hope it all blows away or people forget about you. you need to just keep on announcing, uh, every month, every time there's compliance, non-compliance, you know, so it's quite an onerous
0: and difficult, I would say, uh, uh, process, I mean, process. it's quite journey. Yeah. Um, Christopher, when it comes to uh, other are there, is there anything else uh, to highlight when it comes to insolvency, bankruptcy here in Malaysia? Whether it's you know other other terminology that we should be familiar with, whether we are business owners or businesses.
1: So I think, um, well, start off a company first, lah. So the the thing is that one you should know about fraudulent trading or mm. wrongful trading, however you you twist it. Basically, it means that when you know that your company is insolvent unable to pay its debts and you continue as a director to sign off on contracts making the company indebted to more people. So that means that you know your company is insolvent, you continue to make it take on debt. As a result, you as a director can be liable for wrongful trading or fraudulent trading. Wow. What this means is that the director will have to pay out from his own pocket. So that's
0: when they become personally liable for that. Yes.
1: Yes. So the, mostly the reason why uh, companies want to wind themselves up is because they realize that they're not able to continue business. And if they continue business, they're just going to keep on racking up liabilities. And as a director, you have to put a stop to this. If you don't put a stop to this, you can be liable for fraudulent trading.
0: So being a director is more than just a fancy title. There are personal stakes potentially uh, in this.
1: Director's duties, uh, lots of personal, uh, you know, lots and lots of uh, requirements, attending meetings. It's it's not as simple as you think. So please don't become a director unless you know what you're getting yourself into. <laughs>
0: um, to close off, uh, Christopher, let's I guess break this down in a short summary. Some of the top line things that we've talked about, right? Um, so, bankruptcy in. Uh, could you okay? I guess for once and for all, bankruptcy is applicable to individuals, not companies and businesses. Correct? Yes. And uh, if you're a corporation, you're a uh, cinema hut, you go through an insolvency process, which can entail many other different things later on. But essentially, um, that's what we're looking at here. Yes. And uh, if you need to learn a lot, uh, if you want to go through uh, some of the things that we talked about, we could dive into all of this in quite a lot of detail. Uh, you can catch the conversation on the BFM app or the podcast, which will be available in a few hours time. You can go to bfm.my or download the BFM app. And, um, Anything to add as we close off the conversation, Christopher?
1: Well, not really anything.
0: (laughs) We cover quite a lot of ground, so I think we're pretty much caught up here. Uh, Christopher, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you very much. Folks, I've been speaking to Christopher Guo. He is the legal associate. He's a legal associate at Kenny Tan & Co. And as I mentioned earlier, if you miss any part of this very detailed conversation, you can catch the podcast on our website at bfm.my or download the BFM app. You can also find our shows on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and other podcast players. Just search up Enterprise Biz Bytes. Looking ahead, we've got the Breakfast Grill replay happening after the 1pm News Bulletin. Uh, James Chai is a visiting fellow at ICS USO, Ishak Institute and recently released his debut book, Sang a tale about how ordinary Malaysians defied the odds. The book features seven incredible stories of Malaysians, like the role of a group of Sikh organisations in the worst flood of modern Malaysian history, and the story of a government servant exposing the largest white collar crime in the world. I'm Rushan Karnasin, you've been listening to Enterprise Biz Bites. Keep it here at BFM 89.9, The Business Station.